Bay number three reports successful deminiaturization of probe Foxtrot 817. As you can see, astronaut flight training isn't like anything you've ever experienced before. It is intense. And if you would like to opt out, you can sign up for mission control training in the advanced training lab. Captain, there's something weird out there! So, it is with great pleasure that I present W Radio, your information station. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 376 for the week of September 7th, 2014. I am here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my videos, blog, live broadcasts, books, audio tours, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So this week, we're going to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Hoop-dee-doo musical review in Walt Disney World. We'll look back at how the show got started, why it almost never came to be, and why it still remains the longest-running show, not just in Walt Disney World, but in all of American musical theater. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show as I'll have some updates and announcements, including information about upcoming events and meets of the month in Walt Disney World. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Believe it or not, arguably Walt Disney World's most popular and longest-running attractions has been seen by millions of guests over many, many decades, yet it's still unknown or overlooked by many visitors. But this week, after serving countless helpings of fried chicken and strawberry shortcake and lots of corny jokes and laughs, the Hoop-dee-doo musical review celebrates its 40th anniversary at Disney's Fort Wilderness Resort at Walt Disney World. And I thought, what better way to celebrate than to take a look back at the show with a man that knows a thing or two about Walt Disney World history and fried chicken. He is author, historian, and all-around nice guy. He is my friend, Mr. Jim Corcus. Hoop-dee-doo, hoop-dee-doo. <laughs> it, 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 Lou, it's just been too long. It's just been too long. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm glad uh, you've invited me back on the, the podcast. I always love uh, doing that. Always love uh, uh, talking with you about uh, Walt Disney World uh, history and uh, you've got some of the nicest listeners uh, uh, in the world so it, it's it's always a, a great joy to share that information with them because I know they they love that and they go out and they share those stories with other people and that is what it's all about it's paying it forward and, and making people understand and appreciate the parks and the resorts even more and you know that's the thing that I was saying in the introduction Jim it's kind of interesting that the most popular show, right? And we say the most popular show because they've done more than 37,000 performances over at Pioneer Hall. It's mm -hmm. usually a sellout three times a night and more than 
million guests have seen it, right? So it's one of the longest continually running shows in American theater history, if not the longest. But interestingly enough, the most popular show at Walt Disney World doesn't feature Anna, Elsa, Mickey, or any of the <laughs> Fab Five. And so many people haven't seen it. And, you know, before we get into sort of the history and how it came to be, I just think it's fascinating that when we talk about Hoopty Doo, there's so many people say, oh, you know, I've been meaning to do it. I, I, yeah, maybe one of these days. And they haven't had a chance to go see it. Well, you know, uh, it doesn't feature Anna and Elsa yet. But, <laughs> but with plans to change... Uh, uh, Walt Disney World to Anna and Elsa Frozen World, you know, that will eventually reach out to there. But, but again, uh, you know, as you say, you know, every show is, is, is packed. It's so, it's so popular. But I think because it's located out there at Fort Wilderness and it's located out there at the, the far end of Fort Wilderness, that it, that it sometimes makes it a challenge uh, for Disney guests uh, to work their way out there, and then of course to work their way uh, uh, back to whatever their resort is or whatever after uh, you know that that final show. But yes, my my gosh, y you know the original plans for Pioneer Hall uh, was uh, they were going to do nature lectures while people were eating, and they were going to show uh, true life adventure films. You know, uh, uh, up uh, up on a big screen on on that stage there, because the stage uh, wasn't designed for performing. The, the the stage was pretty much concrete, which was a huge problem. Because when you're a dancer, you want to dance on wood that you know has some give, or else you know you wreck out your knees. So. Uh, you know, after a few years of performing there, they changed it to a wood floor. But originally, that wasn't going to be the home of uh, uh, the Hoopty Doo show. That that was going to be lectures and films. And I think it was uh, uh, Card Walker uh, who uh, uh, took a look and he says, "I don't want to sit there and eat and hear somebody talk about nature." So, uh, well, I think wait, before, before we go on, I think it, it made sense, right? The original idea made sense. Fort Wilderness was supposed to be that place that was very different. It was all about campsites. It was about nature. So to have, you know, camp-like nature programs and animal films and sort of that mm -hmm. town hall meeting place for people to get together and play games and grab their food and have a place to sort of congregate and eat – made sense right over at Fort Wilderness to, to do for breakfast and lunch and then sort of, you know, gather around at dinner time. But Card Walker, you're, you're right. It, it wasn't just about not wanting to do that, but it's also about maximizing revenue, right? You're not going to make a ton of money just having people getting together and playing games. No, and, 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 and actually money is going out. Money is going out to those lecturers. Money is going out, you know, to... Uh, to rent those, uh, even though they're Disney films, it's a different division. So you have to pay the different division for the use of those uh, films. Just like uh, when uh, uh, the hotels are running cartoons on the TV sets, it's not like, oh, well, Disney gets those for free. No, that's a different division. That's a different department. They have to get uh, compensation for, for the use of that. But, but I, I think that happens at Disney all the time, that there's a, a difference between, well, this is ideal and this works with the theme and and all all of this, and uh, but in real life, the guests want something else, you know, and so uh, 
And, of course, Pioneer Hall wasn't even there when um, Fort Wilderness opened in, in, uh, in 71. Uh, Crockett uh, Tavern was. Crockett Tavern, in fact, was, was covered from head to toe with uh, Davy Crockett uh, stuff. I, I don't think people know Davy Crockett <laughs> nowadays. Um, uh, certainly my nephew doesn't, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, Pioneer Hall, uh, didn't come around until, um, uh, 74, April 74, uh, it, it was, uh, uh, built and it was built, um, out of, uh, uh, pine, but they didn't use Florida pine. I think they went somewhere like Montana, Montana or whatever. right. And they to, went to, to right, that. right, the and, logs came uh, from Montana and the stones came from North Carolina because the pines in Florida just wasn't, weren't tall enough. Look how look how smart you are! <laughs> look how smart you are showing off for those those folks listening uh, 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 to that. You're absolutely right, right, of course. And um, again, that's another example of Disney wanting to do it right. You know, uh, we want to, especially in those days. You know, especially with the opening of uh, uh, the Walt Disney World Vacation Resort there. The whole idea was we want to do this right. We want to build something that is going to last, you know, not something that's going to be, you know, let's go on the cheap and, you know, a year from now we'll come back and patch this up if we need to patch this up, whatever. Let's do it right in the first place. Well, and, the, and the, the model proved itself, too, already, because over at the Polynesian, they had the luau, which was selling out, right? They're turning guests away, right. so they realize people want something to do at night. They clearly need something else to do at night other than just going into the theme parks. Right, right. And, 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 and especially in those days when we're talking 71 to 75, um, and 75, by the way, was supposed to be the uh, uh, beginning and end of the second phase of uh, Walt Disney World. You know, you couldn't get everything into Walt Disney World when it opened in 71. And so there was a second phase that was supposed to be completed around 75. That's why you're getting Space Mountain and all that uh, uh, around that area. But, yeah, there was, there was no place to go. There was no place to go even um, – uh, downtown Orlando, you know, uh, Church Street Station and, and those uh, uh, nightclubs and bars and saloons didn't develop until uh, much later. So there was really not much uh, uh, to do, you know, at, at night at all. You know, you, you see the fireworks and that's it. We're closed. <laughs> <laughs> Walt Disney World is closed. Go, go home and sleep. <laughs> the Moose Adams should have told you the, the, park, the parks are closed. Mm-hmm. But you're right. People wanted. They were looking for something to do, and clearly there was a there was very very low hanging fruit in terms of a revenue stream for a, a, a dinner show that they could do not just once a night but multiple times a night. And that's why he, you know, Card Walker goes to Bob Janney and says, "You need to come up with some kind of show for this hall." You know, although it it is clearly not the the design is not conducive for a live show. You figure out what you're going to do and work around the balcony and the pillars and things like that, and get something in there ASAP. And 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 you know you're you're right on the money uh, that uh, one of the things that they used as as a model was that uh, uh, luau show um, uh, out there at the Polynesian, you know, where you mix the entertainment with you know food, and so you're increasing your revenue cost, 
You know, e- even if it's all you can eat, there's only so much you can eat. You know, uh, I, I, I love going to, to sweet tomatoes and it's all you can eat. And, you know, after a t- after a while, you can't you get to the point where you say, I can't have anything more. I can't even have a wafer thin mint. <laughs> you know, the, 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 uh, the first time I uh, went on the uh, Disney cruise, the Disney magic, you know, I took a look and my gosh, yes, it's it's and I thought. This is going to be one, and I'm sitting there, and I'm stuffed to the gills, and I'm looking at these homemade fresh donuts, and there's no more room, and it's like, I can't have it. Just so you know, there's, Jim, no, there's more no more. I can't eat. There's no time limit unless the restaurant closes. Just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so so again, they use the luau show as 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 a format, and again, uh, Disney, uh, you know the. Uh, Bringing in uh, uh, college kids is uh, was one of the um, uh, big things that Walt Disney World started, and then later, you know, Disneyland picked up on that. And and you brought out um, uh, college kids, and uh, you know, they they could get uh, a school credit for attending and all that. And the most popular program in in the seventies uh, uh, was. Uh, entertainment. You know, you you bring out kids who have these aspirations to be entertainers, whether it's, you know, a singer or a dancer or playing a musical instrument, uh, whatever. And and so Disney was offering during the summer only. You know, during that break from college, you could come out, and uh, Disney would basically um, show you how they do it. So, uh, Kids of the Kingdom. Uh, was going on, and I miss the Kids of the Kingdom show. I love the Kids of the Kingdom show at Disneyland. I I loved it at at, at Walt Disney World. I wish they would uh, bring that back. It was it was based on uh, Up with People, but it was the Disney version of that, and it was just like you cannot leave that show without feeling you know enriched and encouraged, and you know. Um, so they would bring the college kids out. They would stick them in, into that show. They would stick them into the uh, marching band. There were some other entertainment opportunities, but basically there weren't the the richness of shows that we have today at at, at Walt Disney World. But uh, uh, basically, at the at the time, there weren't a lot of opportunities. So, oh my gosh, we need a show here. We need it quickly. Let's just. Let's just have the kids do it. Let's well, right, because you, you need a show, you need it quickly, but oh, by the way, there's no money for casting. So mm-hmm. get what you can from what we have in here already. Right, because again, you know, there weren't a lot of people, especially when we're talking 71 to 75, Orlando didn't have a talent pool to pull from, like you had in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, if you needed a performer, if you needed a musician, you could get one within 20 minutes. You know, but out in in Orlando, you didn't have uh, that huge pool of entertainment professionals that you could pull from if you decided you were going to do a a new show. You know, you'd have to go around the country and audition, or you'd have to offer people in uh, Los Angeles a contract and then relocate them and pay for the relocation uh, expenses, you know, to get them out here. So, oh my gosh, we've got these these kids and, and... Listen, I've I've seen very talented uh, college performing uh, uh, people, and so you know we're going to to pull from that. So 
So you have the Pioneer Hall opening in um, April of 74, and then you're having the Hoop-de-Doo Review uh, opening in uh, June of 74. Well, the interesting thing, too, about these students that they have to pull from these kids that thought they were going to be there just for summer performers like Kids of the Kingdom, mm -hmm. uh, they got 600 applications, right? 600 applications for six slots, two yes. comics, two singers, two dancers, right? Six mm -hmm. bits, Dolly, Jim Handy, Flora Long, Johnny Ringo, and Claire DeLune for a show that you said, like you said, was coming up in April, uh, you know, in a space that was not necessarily meant for a dinner show. So it had all these sort of things working against it, right? You've got to get it in there in a space not meant for it, using kids that were not coming in for this. We've got no budget. And then when it does finally open, Jim, the first night, like, it did not do well at all. Like, there were no. six tables. Worth, like, there was literally, like, one table per member of the cast. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it, was, it did not start off well and, and start off actually very slow before it really had some time to... Catch on. Well, well, again, it's it's word of mouth because again, it as I said, it, it it's in an extreme, out of the uh, usual pathway location. Nobody's heard about this uh, before, and and again, you're paying um, a, a, a premium price, you well, know, compared with uh, well, if I want to eat, I can get a hamburger over here for you know. Less, why am I paying extra for for this here? Well, I think the, the the problem originally wasn't that because obviously now you see the show, like I said, is selling out. You know, three times a night. Mm -hmm. The problem was they had no budget to market it. Right? People again, we we think, oh, it's just Disney. It's just one big pot. They'll clearly they'll advertise a show that they're introducing on property. Gary Goddard, who was the director, literally was printing flyers and going to hotels and handing them out and going to the concierge to let them know and promote this show because he had no budget to advertise it. And it doesn't I, sort of make I, sense. I, 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 I'd forgotten that entirely. Yes, that's very true. That's absolutely true. So, so it's almost like uh, one of those um, Mickey Rooney movies, you know. Let's put on a show, you know. <laughs> Let's put on a show, and and we'll go out, and we'll get everybody in the neighborhood, and we'll, we'll go door to door and let them know it's there. Unlike the producers, which was meant to be a flop, this one actually ended up, you know, doing well, and it and it and it changed a little bit, right? Originally, it was going to be called the Whoopty Doo, like the Whoopty Doo yes. review, and then they change it to the Hoopty Doo. But you know, they brought and, on, and, and 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 I think even earlier than that, it, it was it was even a simpler title, like the Pioneer Hall Show or something like that. You know, but before um, uh, you got that got that in there, you know, what, once you get the uh, you know. Uh, a lyricist and musician in there like Tom Adair, uh, you know, who'd uh, created uh, a lot of songs for Disney, especially like for the Mickey Mouse Club and all that, you know, and uh, he's the one who who comes up with uh, uh, Hoop Dee Doo, which was a polka. It, it's it's not an old West song, you know. It, it, and it's, it's not, not a Disney song, <laughs> right? People think it's a, everybody thought it was a Disney well, song, and it's not. Uh, well, see, again, that that's one of those situations where it was so popular that people thought it it's got to be in public domain, you know, just like the Happy Birthday song. It's so popular. It it was written in uh, uh, 1950 by uh, Milton DeLug. Uh, who I met personally on the Gong Show because he was the musical director <laughs> of the Gong Show, uh, Milton DeLug, the band with a thug, 
and nicest guy you know in the world and 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 we talked because my brothers and I went on as uh, uh singing dancing hunchbacks uh the quasimodo belairs quasimodo do you know who's going to win the third race no but i got a hunch but we did some singing as well so we got to talk with Milton Delug because he says do you want the band to play along do you want it a cappella whatever but uh he had a huge rich uh career so in 1950 he does Hoopty Doo Review, and he teams up with uh, Frank Lesser, who, uh, oh gosh, what, what a terrific uh, uh, lyricist and musician, wrote the songs for uh, Guys and Dolls, among other other things. And so they get together, and they, they put together this little uh, polka, and they take it to Perry Como, who is a very popular singer in the 50s, and Perry Como literally says, I hate this. <laughs> This is stupid. He literally says that. It made but, me but sick. Under like contract. Reason, it made me sick. He, he, he's under contract, needs to have a, a, a song, you know, to, to fill the B-side of a record. And so he records it, and by gosh, it goes up into the top ten. In fact, it's so popular in 1950 that it's not only recorded by Perry Como, it's recorded by uh, K-Star and Doris Day and both of their versions go up to the top ten. And then Milton DeLug uh, r- releases a version that goes up, you know. So people, there's some, you know, as soon as we say hoop de doo I bet people listening to this podcast are already singing it, <laughs> you know, or singing it in their mind. It's like a, it's like one of those, it's a small world songs, you know, that, that stick in there. But they should but, go and listen, they should actually go, because you can find it obviously on, on YouTube, go and listen to the original Perry Como version. Which I did. I went and I went back and I listened to the Perry Como version. So, and I'm an old man. I liked it. You know, I liked it. It doesn't have sort of the same type of feel and energy that the one that we were used to at Walt right. Disney World did. But again, knowing Perry Como, I mean, and I can see at the time in the '50s how and why that song would have been so incredibly popular. Well, well, actually, it became more popular after the Perry Como version. Simply because, yes, if you if you do it at the right pace, it's uh, Milton Delug. One of the instruments he played was an accordion, so he wrote it for an accordion. It's it's a polka, so you play it at Oktoberfest, you know, things like that, and whoop, 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 and 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 it just you know uh, gets you going. And you know, he never even knew that they were using the song, and and Disney at the time thought they had gotten the the clearances. Uh, uh, and and all for uh, for this and in fact Milton Delug the first time he heard the first time he saw the show was a um, a Disney cast member who was very interested in uh, uh, music and I won't mention the the man's name here uh, took him to see Hoop De- Do Review because Milton had never seen it he saw it absolutely loved it didn't even worry that you know he wasn't getting paid royalties or whatever you know he he was well enough off however milton was not the only person involved with the song frank lesser was now frank lesser had passed away you know quite a while before um hoop doo review even you know uh premiered but his estate was very very um um protective Protective. That's a, that's a good word. Very, very protective. And so 
when Milton DeLug got back and he was talking to people from the Frank Lesser, he said, oh, yeah, they're using that out there, and it's a bunch of kids, and it's wonderful and all of that. Then the Lesser uh, uh, estate, you know, the, the people who own the rights to the song, in 2009, 2010, sued Disney, and they wanted money for every single performance that had been done. And it was pointed out that Lesser only wrote the lyrics, and they had changed the lyrics of the song for um, uh, the show. And apparently that made it even worse, because then the Lesser estate said, well, not only are you using our song, but you have made changes to it without, you know, authorization. And oh my gosh, you know. And so, um, and I'm sure Disney was probably saying, "Well, we changed it enough to that it rises to the ranks of a parody." Not to sort yes. of get into the to the legal logistics of it, but in but, trying but, to think but, as a recovering but, lawyer, the lesser, right? The lesser uh, estate responded by, "You can't use parody as a defense because it's like Mad Magazine. If Mad Magazine, you know, uses a likeness of Marlon Brando for a parody of The Godfather, or or they." Uh, in in some of their uh, uh, movie parodies, they go, uh, uh, they write lyrics and they say, sing this to the tune of, you know, Old Man River or whatever. Uh, they're only doing that once. You have been using this continually for decades. <laughs> so, you know, that goes beyond the defense. A parody is sort of like a one-time thing, you know, or maybe two or three times if you, you know, but but you go beyond that you can't and so uh again disney brought out that you know uh the clearances that they had had you know from from the 70s but apparently those clearances really didn't cover this particular situation and uh so of course all of this got settled out of court because disney likes to do that because if you go to court it then becomes public record and not only does it become public record, but it sets a precedent. Well, you know all of this law stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, I went to law school for a few years. I, uh, yeah, you're right. And you know, clearly, it, you want it, it's one of those things that okay, it is what it is, and they need to move on. So in 2011, the the song changes, and people, of course, you know, were, were nostalgics, were sentimentalists, were so sad that it went because for us, you know, it was like taking it's a small world out of. It's a small world. Like, that was a song right, associated well, it, with it it. it. it would be like rewriting the Mickey Mouse march, you know? In, instead of saying, who's the leader of the club? Now, now you go, the club leader is. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Wait, no, it's who's the leader of the club. But, but, yeah. So, basically, what they did is they, you know, rewrote lyrics, rewrote a, rewrote a song. And, and the song is good and professional, but... You know, I will tell you, you, you walk out of that show and you are not humming that song. Right. But when you walked out of Hoop-dee-doo review and they had Hoop-dee-doo, Hoop-dee-doo, you know, you, you were you were being raucous and uh, uh, dancing around right. and, was you know, waving your handkerchief over your head, you know, because they had taken your napkin away, you know. So, uh, so anyway, it. I'm glad that it got resolved so that the show continues, but... I am sad that, you know, the uh, original Hoop-dee-doo show uh, song, uh, the polka there, doesn't exist. But, but again, that gets back to that point 
that the show was going to be called all sorts of things until they they picked uh, that song Hoopty Doo and and that seemed to be the the magic key, you know. Boy, we've got that. That's what we're going to call this even though this has nothing to do with the old west. <laughs> well, I <laughs> you think, know, it, I think what they were doing you know and you know, if we're going back to this time in the early 70s where they're saying, look, you guys have to sort of put the show together on a shoestring budget, get these, you know, kids together. I'm sure to a certain degree, they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants, right? They're trying things yeah. out. They're trying different jokes. They're trying different scripts. And, and, probably and again, not going, right, it probably isn't WDD saying this is what you exactly need to do and this is how you have to stick to it. It was sort of the Wild West in terms of what they were trying out. Well, well and, and again, too, it was... This is a show that's just supposed to last for the summer. Basically, it's uh, the the summer program was a three month program. They had uh, more or less one week worth of rehearsal, and then eleven weeks of, of performances, and then that was going to be it. The show was over, you know. And then next year we'll come up with something else, you know. Th this is a, a fun little. We talked about this before the podcast started that that often happens is, is you put in something that's only supposed to be a placeholder, only supposed to be there for a short time, and then the audience falls in, in love with it. Uh, my, my brother was responsible for uh, helping write and direct the Pocahontas show uh, for uh, Disney Animal Kingdom, and he went into that project knowing that that show was just supposed to be a placeholder to fill that location as a last-minute thing for about three months, and then they had plans to put in something more permanent. Well, audiences loved Pocahontas show. It lasted for about a decade there, you know? And so the same thing happened with Hoopty Doo Review. You know, well, we don't have to look at all of this too closely. We don't have to analyze this and agonize about this because it's only a summer show, you know? And at the end of the show, the cast is going away, you know? Uh, so, so this is a nice little experiment, and we'll learn from this, and we'll go on, and we'll go on to do something else. And, and as you said, it started off rough. It started off rough, but just the just the energy, just the the whole thing, tapped into something for audiences. And so, at the end of the summer, they're looking at these college kids, and they're saying, "Do you think you could stay?" And maybe, and and the kids are going. We got to go back to college. We got to graduate from college. Our mom and dad want us to graduate from college. We can't do this, and so they had to look for a uh, permanent professional cast at, at, at that particular uh, uh, point. And yes, you're right. It, it's uh, 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 three sets of two couples, and uh, a friend of mine, Alan Brune, who I went to Occidental College with, uh, was the director of that show for about six, seven years. And he said the way he looked at it is uh, one set of couples, uh, you know, uh, uh, were uh, heartmates, and uh, another set were soulmates, but uh, Dolly and Six Bits were primates. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he says that's why the show works is because people get caught up with those three sets of, of, of couples there. He, he, he says, you know, because there's not a lot of uh, meat. There's not a lot of narrative there. What you're, what you're doing is you're immediately falling in love with either one set of those couples or, or all three of them. 
and you're following their story of of the relationship, and and that's that's the glue that's holding that all together there. Bet you didn't know that, did you? Yeah, and and so and and so you yeah you've got uh, uh, one set of couples that are the singers, one set of couple that are the dancers, and one set of couples that are the uh, uh, comic relief. You know, so and in fact the uh, original Dolly. Uh, the original college girl who played Dolly went on to greater things. Do you, uh, did your research pull up what happened to her? She's still there. She, I, I think she's still yeah, the she, executive she's director. In, in charge of entertainment, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can build a, a Disney career, you know, uh, uh, from doing that. But, you know, the one thing, too, we were talking about how the show almost never was, right, and almost went away very quickly. I'm sure they mm-hmm. were probably saying to themselves, if this thing doesn't pick up quickly, we're doomed, right? We're, we're out of here. Right. We've got no budget. We've got nobody coming to fill. We've got to, like, you know, pay these people. But then, you know, whether it was the music, whether it was something about it, it hooked on very quickly, and I think it got popular very quickly, so much so that they thought about saying, okay, well, wait a minute, we've got something here. We need to expand. We need to do something even more. And they realized that this building that was built not for this type of show wasn't going to suffice. They had actually considered creating an outdoor stage for it. Again, going back to this idea of being outside at Fort Wilderness Mm -hmm. at the campground. So Gary Goddard and and Dorothea Redmond did some concept art for this full-sized Western street where a stagecoach would have come out and it would have been live horses there and you could have had a show of like 1,500 people with chorus girls and gun battles and stuntmen like you used to have over in Frontierland and they would have had this restaurant called the Deadwood Steakhouse, a big mm-hmm. opener. Like, I hear that and I really dig that idea and and am sad to see that it almost didn't become something... I, I, who, the Piner Hall is great because it's a, it's somewhat intimate, especially if you're on the, the, the lower level. But you think about what it would have been like to almost have a theatrical, you know, stage show, uh, you know, that was uh, on a much grander scale. Well, but, but again, what, what one of the things that killed that idea, of course, was the Luau show, because the Luau show was now having challenges with weather. Right. You know, when you did the show, because originally the Luau show was open. You know, you you looked out and and you saw the the blackness of the the lagoon behind you. That that was one of the uh, reasons for that uh, electrical show out on the the lagoon was to create a backdrop for the luau show, more or less, because it was it was dark and all that. But my gosh, if it started to rain or if it started to get cold, and 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 we do experience winter in Florida. You you get about two weeks of winter. Right. But it's non-consecutive. It's non-consecutive days, but you do get two weeks' worth of winter. But Or like what we're experiencing right now, which is like, you know, 11 o'clock at night, it's 89 degrees or 90 degrees, and there's the humidity and all that. So that was one of the things that killed the outdoor show. But I'm, I'm with you. I would have loved to, to have seen that. But again, that also in, involved a significant... Um, yeah, financial uh, investment, and uh, uh, some of the uh, accountaneers, uh, you know, at Team Disney take a look and they go, "Well, it's working right now. <laughs> Are we going to get significantly that much more money if we invest, you know, 
up up to this point. Yeah, because you know, yeah, Pioneer Hall really wasn't designed for that. You know, you had the those pillars inside there. The the sight lines are not uh, uh, as great as um, uh, you would like. You, you know, they uh, originally they were going to extend those balconies until you know entertainment goes. Look, if you extend the balconies, the people in the back are not going to be able to see the stage. You know, uh, if you do a tier thing, well, no, that's going to cost too much. We can't do that. Um, so, yeah, it, it, the funny thing is, is as you say, this is the longest running uh, musical show here in in America, and uh, which again I regret because I grew up out in California and I'd go see the Golden Horseshoe Review, and for uh, at one point in history that was the longest running, you know, musical show in in America. Um, Wally Bogue. I still miss Wally Bogue. But um, anyway, the the whole thing is, is it works in a place that really it has no, logically, it shouldn't work at all. And it not only has it worked, but it really has worked for 40 years and they haven't really changed very much at all, right? So we talked about the song being changed. The old apple pie hoedown changed yeah, in 1939. The dessert, the, the dessert has changed. Right. You go yeah. from apple pie to strawberry shortcake. And then other than that, the only thing they don't do that they used to do is used to be able to they encourage you to get up on your chair and wave your napkins. Now, obviously, for safety concerns, the lawyers must have stepped in and said, well, it was the, the, the same way that, that Walt would uh, um, allow people to just uh, sit up on stage, top of a stagecoach at Disneyland in 1955. And if you take a look, they just have a little step ladder that they put up to get people to climb up there and to climb off. I, I, I just recently saw a picture where they had a cast member, and he had one foot on the, the side of uh, the stagecoach and one on the wheel so that the wheel wouldn't move <laughs> as people were getting off this step ladder. So life has changed considerably. Yeah, well, and, you know? and you're not riding donkeys. You're not riding live donkeys around the parks. That, 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 right. that would take a bite at you if they were irritated. <laughs> well, and it's and funny. If I, if I was a donkey working at Disneyland and people were on my back, I'd get irritated too. But it's funny too. We're talking about sort of changes in terms of what has gone away because you can't have people standing on chairs and potentially falling down. And I get that, right? You want to sort of. I I, I I do. I, I get that in, in entirely. But yes. they they, they and, will, and, and especially tweet. today. I think people are more likely to fall off of a chair than 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 they would in in uh, in the seventies or even eighties. I I think people, especially at Disney, uh, pay less attention. Yeah, and, and look, you know, beer and wine and sangria is served there to the adults, and, and <laughs> beer and wine sangria and standing on chairs waving napkins with a chicken wing in your hand is does not is not the recipe for, for success. <laughs> but taking that out of the equation, you know, the only other sort of small changes that have really happened is, and I think that this is still there, the last time I was there, one of the characters went into timeout. Which yeah, for, I, I, that was never something that existed back when I was a kid. That's I think is a relatively new thing. So like I saw that, and I think too, somebody told me that they now have brought in a uh, a, a verse or, or a, a parody of "Do You Want to Build a Snowman" into mm. in there recently too. So I need to go back. Uh, so Anna and Elsa have invaded. See, you know, um, Hoopty Doo was so popular. How popular was it, Jim? It was so popular, and, and, and you're just a tadpole, so you probably don't remember this, 
But um, out here in Orlando, it inspired other dinner theaters. Um, and and I, I, th- I think some of your uh, listeners uh, might be of a, a comparable age here, so they might remember this. But in Orlando, they used to have Fort Liberty and King Henry's Feast. And, and these were run by um, uh, the same organization that did uh, uh, Legends in Concert, you know, where you have Elvis impersonators and Lou Mangiello impersonators and things like that on, on a stage. But, but basically, uh, in, uh, I think it's around 86, uh, they opened King Henry's Feast on International Drive, and so it was a castle. It, it, it's where Olive Garden is today, if, if people are familiar with that. But you would go in, and there would be this huge um, – so it was like a semicircular theater. And in, in the center, you would have knights battling, and you had King Henry up there at the top, and, and he would uh, actually pick a queen or a princess or something from the audience. And you had the tables, and it was all you could eat, and you could, you could uh, see this. And – that was so successful that in 87, out on 192, uh, I always called it the Fort Liberty Dinner Theater. Actually, it was Wild Bill's Dinner Theater, and the, the whole complex there was called Fort Liberty. But it was the same thing. You had, it, it was in the round. You had a center stage, and, and you had a Wild West show, but again, it would stop, and those people on the outer uh, circle there you know, would get served all-you-can-eat stuff. And this would go on. And, and those shows were so popular, but, and they would still be running today. They both closed um, around 2000 uh, because the Legends in Concert thing went bankrupt. So it took those other two theaters with them. But there are other theaters today in Orlando. And I know you're probably one of those people, Lou, who don't go to anywhere except on Disney property. I have friends who come out to visit from California and they will not go eat at um, Crossroads because it is not Disney property. <laughs> I, 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 I said, it's, it's just down the street from downtown Disney. I'll come pick you up. No, it's not Disney property. I, I do I, eat I, I outside of Disney that. property, but I think some people – you know what it is, Jim? I think – and this is a, a separate conversation, but I think when people come to Walt Disney World to vacation yes. here, they're coming here. They want to be inside – the bubble, the cocoon, the blanket of the, the warm, comforting blanket of Disney because they know what kind of experience they're going to have here. They want to be immersed in it the entire time they're here. So if they feel like they're going out to a chain restaurant at Crossroads or I Drive, they are now taking themselves out of the experience that they've waited and saved so much for. So I, I do get that because well, I was very much uh, like uh, that. Thank too. you, Michael Eisner. Thank <laughs> you, Michael. No, because that was Michael Eisner's argument. He says that's why we're building Pleasure Island is because guests really don't want to leave here to go to those wonderful restaurants and and saloons and bars uh, on Church Street Station. So we're going to build the Disney version of that here at Pleasure Island. And, and that was part of the concept of Animal Kingdom, too. People don't want to leave here to go to Bush Gardens, so we'll have an animal ex- live animal experience right here. And, and I, I think there is some um, uh, logic to that and some justification to that, and also the fact that at Disney you know you'll be safer and it'll be cleaner and it'll be a more um, – controlled experience and you, but look, there's you, still dinner theaters out in, in Orlando you know there's Capone's 
which is, is done up, you know, as 1920s gangsters, and you have to knock on a, a door and give a password in order to be go, and you can get spaghetti and all that. And then there's the um, uh, the pirates uh, dinner theater, you know. Right, but uh, but, but, I, but what I consistently hear, <clears throat> excuse me, is and look, I, I'm a fan first, and and I'm thinking about how, especially when I did not live here, and even now that I do, you'll go to something like that, you may try it out. And you'll be like, it was nice, but it's not Disney. You'll try you another go. you'll try another cruise line, but you're gonna come back and go, you know what? It wasn't Disney. I didn't get the same experience that I had there. So why am I gonna even bother? I still haven't obviously I haven't seen and done it all at Disney, because not everybody has seen the hoop to do yet. And I think that goes I think that clearly illustrates the point as to why this show, right? How has it had such longevity? without changing hardly anything for more than 40 years because yeah. it embodies everything that is Disney, right? It's that fun, family-friendly, great entertainment, interactive kind of thing, hour and a half, lots of fun, it's safe, good food, good value, and you come out smiling. Not And, 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 and I think one of the things that you touched on, which, which I agree with completely, family-friendly. You know, and, and, and I think the hoop de doo uh, review show uh, appeals to all ages of guests, but I think young kids enjoy it just as much, even if it's on a different level. You know, I, I, I know that uh, sometimes you can take young kids to, uh, uh, because again, I, I'm an uncle. I've had, I've had nieces, I've had uh, nephews, I've got a young uh, nephew right now that... Uh, uh, I take uh, places, and I know that they can be very particular. But uh, I think one of the the uh, virtues of Hoopty Doo is they get the young kids involved in that whole experience. Right, and my kid, I went with my family just a couple of months ago because my kids wanted to go because we love going to Fort Wilderness. We we go there sometimes during the holidays, especially, and we'll go eat at Trails End and and get a golf cart and drive around. And, and I'm a big fan. And they wanted to see Hoopty Doo, and they loved it. They sat, I was watching them more than I was watching the show, and they sat there with their mouths agape, and they were smiling, and they were laughing, and they were singing. I'm like, that's it. Like, this is why we come here, because but, but, of that. But your son and daughter are like 26 and 30 now, aren't they? <laughs> Sometimes they I think they're my daughter. Or they just act that age, they just, right? Yeah. But, and look, you know, so to sort of, you know, wrap things up, I think that's what it is. It's about fun family entertainment. You get all you can eat chicken and ribs and the cornbreads and the and, food. And, and the, the chicken is delicious. The last time I was there and I had had the chicken, it I, I think it's some of the best fried chicken on on Disney property there. Yeah, and they also have the you know the other thing too. Disney adapting to uh, requests and special needs. They also have like grilled salmon and squash and vegetables. Like for if you want some healthier food as well. They've got three shows a night, 4, 6, 15, and 8.30. You can also choose different seating options, whether you want a floor or balcony. And they'll run from about $56 to $66 for adults, $29 to $35 for kids. Which really is reasonable for, for the amount of entertainment you're getting and the amount of food that you're getting. I, 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 think, I think, you know, that's, that's not an outrageous price. Right. Think about what it takes to take your family out to dinner and go to a movie, you know, especially if you want to go see something like in 3D. You're going to be paying the same thing. It's an hour and a half. I think you could actually make it a longer evening by going down to Fort Wilderness early, 
wandering around, looking at the barn, looking at the uh, you know the, the 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 pictures of Walt and the horses. Actually, if you go and listen back to show number three sixty two. Everything you ever wanted to know about Disney's Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground. We really talk about the things to do there that every guest is welcome to come and do and explore and enjoy. Then you can go and check out the, the show. The lawnmower tree has been removed. I know. I know. The lawnmower was sort of uh, – <laughs> things that last 40 years or so, uh, the, the poor lawnmower was out in the elements for too long. But you can make now, a... now, in full disclosure, you need to share with the audience. Have you ever been pulled up on stage as a volunteer or any of your family pulled up as a volunteer? I have not. I have not. Well, I, 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 th- I, think, that, I, I think that should be – a, uh, a challenge to the uh, performers at uh, Hoop-de-Doo that the next time you know that Lou Mangello is in the house, he needs to be pulled up there. I'll have to I, go to I, Category 3. and get, Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Even if you're up in the balconies, they can still uh, they can still take you and pull you down. And that's what I love, Jim, is that the performers, when they do mix in with the audience, they do go up to the balconies, too. So mm-hmm. everybody gets the same type of show. Um it is definitely something I think that everybody should do and check out at least once. I would love to hear from the people who are listening. Have you been to Hoopty Doo? If so, what do you think? If you haven't, why not? And hopefully has this podcast or have what you heard about Hoopty Doo. And, and, and I'd love to hear from people who uh, saw Hoopty Doo back there in the uh, uh, 70s and 80s and have seen it now. And if, you know, what the what they see in terms of any changes at all, because like you, I don't, other than, you know, of course, the, the main song there, I don't see anything really that significant. I, I, I think, I'm sure there's been some lines that have been changed over the years and all that, but it, it works as a good, solid show. And, and, I, and, I, and, and, I, and I think it's a happy show. So, you know, you go out and, and you feel satisfied. You, you feel full not only in terms of um, what you've eaten, but full in terms of, of that emotional thing of, yes, I had, I had a good time and, and I, I feel satisfied. I feel that, you know, I, I got a beginning, middle, and an end. <laughs> uh, and, and I think the end is that you come out smiling. And I think mm-hmm. that's, and that is why. And I think the pe- there are people who are listening who do go often because I think it does have, to a certain degree, an adventurous club-like following and, and, you know, sort of people that continually go. They like, they know every word. They know what's coming next. They know every line, but they love going because of the type of experience. They have connections with the characters and the performers, and it is sort of where they call home, right? It's that place that you know what you're going to get every time you go, and that's why they go back every time. And those who are frequent visitors, where's the best place to sit? You know, I, 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 wherever I've sat, I, I don't feel that there's a bad seat in, no. in, in the house there, at, at least for me. I, I've enjoyed every place I've sat. But is there a better place to sit? There you go. So okay. you, if, you want to, uh, if you want to book it online, you could book it 180 days out by calling 407-WDW-DINE. And after you book your uh, trip to the Hoop-Dee-Doo Musical Re- Review and Fort Wilderness Resort and Camp Gown, please go to wdwradio.com. There you can comment on this week's podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts there. You can also tweet me or go to Facebook. I know Jim will be watching the comments as well. And in the show notes, you will also find links to all of Jim Corcus's uh, library of books, where he's got oh so many. And, and, and in fact, here's a, here's an announcement for uh, uh, WDW Radio listeners: coming out in October, 
Vault of Walt, Volume 3. So make sure you put that on your Christmas list to put in your Christmas stocking, along with Lou's book, uh, 102 Things. And uh, also check out uh, ThemeParkPress.com, which has a lot of great uh, uh, Disney books for your Christmas shopping. There you go. And hopefully we will see you, Jim Corcus, at the Hoopty Doo and uh, and back on the show and, soon. And, and you know, Lou, if I don't see you in the future, I'll see you in the pasture. <laughs> Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see while you pay attention to the details and what you see or maybe even what you hear for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week I was asking you about the Casey Jr. train from the 1941 movie Dumbo, which rolled in and is parked right in the middle of Storybook Circus at Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World. And while the Casey Jr. Splash and Soak Station is a great way for you and the kids to cool off in the summer months, it is also replete with great details as well. So, for example, on the back of each of the train cars, there's a number that has a significance or meaning to Walt Disney World visitors and fans. And that was your question last week, was to identify what those four numbers mean. Again, hundreds of you entered. All of you pretty much got these correct because the numbers are 71... 82, 89, and 98. And they obviously correspond with the opening years of each of the Walt Disney World theme parks. 1971 for Magic Kingdom, 82 for Epcot, 89 for MGM, now Disney's Hollywood Studios, and 98 for 1998 over at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Again, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, who is going to win a prize of all six of my virtual audio walking tours of the park, a copy of my new 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World book, and a mystery prize from my collection, which I am slowly purging on eBay. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Stephen Jantz. So, Stephen, congratulations. I'll get your package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next opportunity to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So with all the talk and the fun of the Hoop-de-Doo musical review, I am in a Old West Frontierland kind of mood. So I thought we would go over to one of my other favorite musical review comedy shows in Walt Disney World, The Country Bear Jamboree. It's classic Disney. Walt had his hand in it. Love the jokes, love the gags, love the music. Hopefully you're singing some of the songs in your head right now. And if you're not, you might after this week's question, because it's very simple. In the Country Bear Jamboree, which bear plays the mouth harp? And here's a hint. If you start singing or listening to the main title song, that will give it away for you. So you have until Sunday, September 14th at 11.59 p.m. to email your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. Again, you're playing for all the audio tours, a copy of 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World, and... Since we're talking about music, how about an autographed photo of Richard M. Sherman? He didn't write music for the Country Bears, but a lot of the other music around the theme parks and for so many other Disney films. So again, all you need to tell me is which bear in the Country Bear Jamboree plays the mouth harp for your chance to win. So good luck and have fun.
That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I also want to say a big thanks to everybody who has rated and reviewed 102 ways to save money for and at Walt Disney World over on Amazon.com. We now have more than 130 reviews for the book. I want to say thanks to Darren T. Lundy, Cinderella Ballard, and Troy Garner for posting reviews this week. If you have the book and enjoy it, please go to Amazon.com. You can rate and review it there. You can find links and all the other different ways to purchase the book by visiting Disney102.com. There you'll also find out not only how you can save money while you're at Walt Disney World, but how to save even before your trip, plus 40 free things to do, eat, enjoy, and collect while you are there. Also, don't forget that in addition to the podcast, which you can find and subscribe over on iTunes, please join me for a live show every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WDWRadioLive.com. We'll spend the first few minutes talking about this week's Walt Disney World news in a live interactive chat room where you can ask and answer questions right in the text chat. And then we'll stay on for a little while longer and talk about pretty much anything else that you like. If you missed the show live, you can also catch it on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash WDWRadio, or I'll put the audio in iTunes as well. Also, visit WDWRadio.com for a bunch of new blog posts every day from a great team of talented writers. Subscribe to our free email newsletter. Download the free app for your iPhone or Android device or talk with other Disney fans in our fun, family-friendly discussion forum. Lots more. Again, you can find everything over at WDWRadio.com. You know, I love hearing from you, so if you have a question you want answered on the air, you can email me, Lou, at WDWRadio.com. Or better yet, if you want to be on the air, you can call in the voicemail with a question, a comment, or just a hello from the parks at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-9391. If you're interested in purchasing any of my Walt Disney World trivia books, audio tours, the 102 Ways to Save Money Guide, or some WDW Radio logo gear, you can also visit the shopping page over at WDWRadio.com. But as much as I love connecting with you guys online, and again, I'm at Lou Mangiello on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello, or you can like the page over at Facebook.com slash WDW Radio. I believe that nothing, my friends, beats a handshake and a hug. And that's why every month I do monthly free meetups in Walt Disney World. The next is going to be Sunday, September 28th from 3 o'clock to 4.30 p.m. at the former FastPass location over at Storybook Circus under the tent. You can grab a frozen drink or a snack from Big Top Souvenirs next door. Recharge yourself or your phone. Come and make and meet some new friends as well. Anyone and everyone is welcome, so bring the whole family To find out more, visit the events page over at WDWRadio.com. There you'll also find out about other upcoming events, not necessarily in Walt Disney World, but also on the road as I travel around the country to speak at different conferences and to businesses. And speaking of which, if you want to find out more or see how you can book me to speak at your conference for your event to your business or consult with you personally or even speak at your kid's school, you can visit LouMangello.com for more information. Also, if you are a fellow podcaster, looking to take your business to the next level and really make your passion your profession, you can find out how I can try and help you there as well. Don't forget, too, I'm also going to be live broadcasting from the Disney Weddings and Honeymoon event on Saturday, September 27th. 
from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. over at www.radiolive.com. I'm sure I'm missing something, but I don't want to forget to thank my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider because it's who I use because I know I'm going to get the best possible prices. They'll retroactively apply any discounts as they come out, but really it is about the personal service that they give me that really is their hallmark. To find out more, get a free no-obligation quote, all at no cost to you. Visit mousefantravel.com, and if you want a little bit of Disney magic delivered right to your door or to your digital device, visit celebrationspress.com and find out how you can subscribe to Celebrations Magazine. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like this show, please help spread the word. Tell your friends about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links and come by and comment over on Facebook. And please go by and rate and review the show over on iTunes. It is very, very helpful. Very much appreciated. Big thanks to Soccer Guy 11, Doggy UK, Paul Washington, and Doug Diamond. Thank you so very much. And if you want to go and leave a review, you can just go to iTunes and do a search for WDWRadio.com. And most importantly, I want to say a sincere thanks again to you for taking the time to listen, for tweeting me and emailing me and coming out to me to the month. You have no idea how much it means to me. And the fact that you allow me to do what I love every day and share my passion for Disney with you makes me the happiest, luckiest, most blessed guy in the world. And I want you to feel the same way every day about what you want to do. So if you have a goal and you really want to make that goal a reality, then set a deadline for yourself. And then once you set that deadline, set a schedule and stick to it. And you'll be surprised how quickly and how closely you'll get to your goal before you know it. And hey, if there's ever anything I can do to help you, please let me know. Email me, tweet me, Facebook me, whatever it may be. And I hope you guys have a fantastic week this week. So until next time, see ya. Hey, hello, it's Chris from uh, West Palm Beach in, uh, down here in Florida, you know, south of you. And uh, I'm also a mixed team on your, um, you know, on the box. Um, great show this week. It was really nice to hear. It was nice to hear this this uh, review for um, uh, Captain Cooks and and having the family there. Um, they all sound like they're in the great age range. Uh, talking to kids, not your wife. <laughs> anyway, um, looking forward to uh, the third. Um, I was just coming up that weekend just for the fourth, but um, that's a bonus. So I'm really pumped for that, and um, and I have something for you. I got uh, got some uh, up north stuff for you. So um, anyway, take care. All the best. You're a great guy, but I appreciate your 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 positiveness towards everybody and everything that everybody wants to do. And um, you're a good man. All the best to your family. I talk to you soon. You take care, buddy. Hi, Lou. I've been meaning to call in and say how great show 374 was, the restaurant review of Captain Cook's, and how amazing. Well, I'm always amazed that I can listen to you eat and describe what you're eating for an hour and be so entertained by it. But then having your uh, fabulous family come in and join you added so much more. I'm smelling a podcast spinoff with any of your family members. A fabulous job. Uh, an entire family of foodies. Uh, perhaps you'll uh, 
go down as replacing the cleavers, which is a really old reference, kids, to uh, the number one first family. Just wholesome goodness. <laughs> Everyone was so poised and uh, had a lot to offer. And uh, we, we were greatly entertained and looking forward to hearing some more of uh, your great family giving their opinions. And uh, obviously the kids are a chip off the old block and uh, obviously, Deanna is indeed the brains and beauty behind the beast. So, just wanted to throw in all that 50 cents. And we appreciate your work so much. And this is Tim in Swanee, Georgia. 